listening to the podcast of East River Park Christian Church. If you'd like to find out more information about the church or donate to this ministry, please visit us at eastriverpark.church. We pray that this is an encouragement to you as you grow in Christ through the local church. need some very quick participation. When you know what the name of this song is, yell it out. This is something new, the Casper Slide Part 2, featuring the Platinum Band, and this time we're gonna get funky, funky, funky. Does anyone know this song? No? Cobb? What is it? The Cha-Cha Slide? Does everyone know the Cha-Cha Slide? Well, I thought someone would at least know it. Oh, Jason, way in the back. So, <laughs> if you, the cha-cha slide, I mentioned this song because we are coming out of wedding season. Thank goodness. <laughs> oh, wow. But this song has been playing and plaguing weddings since the year 2000. And every single time, he says, this is something new. And every single time at the end of the song, he says, all right, wait for part three, and it's been 22 years. It has been played at every single wedding that has dancing, and I've had to bear listening and being told to dance in this song five times just this year. And let me tell you, when he says, how low can you go, I know how far I can go, and it's not that far. And I also dread the part when he says, five hops, five hops, because I don't want to hop five times, and I just resort to calf heels, or calf raises. And I honestly just hope that no one notices. But all joking aside, I mentioned this song to bring up weddings, and because one of my favorite things about weddings is the time of fellowship, especially if you're in a wedding. I, I was given the honor this year to be a groomsman in our worship leader, Isaac's um, wedding. And I just, I got ample time to hang out with a group of believers. And then after the wedding, we had a reception and we just hung out together and we fellowshiped with all the other believers in the room. And I'm not going to lie, for me, that is life-giving. I am a introverted socialite, so I'm introverted naturally, but I love social situations. And so when I get to fellowship with people, I love it. And when two people come together and dedicate themselves to lifelong, intimate, and servant fellowship, it is incredible, and it is biblical. And the exact same thing can be said about biblical worship. It is in our fellowship where our joy is made complete, and it is with fellowship where our growth in Christ, our love in Christ, and our love for others gets amplified. And so if you haven't guessed it yet, uh, the sermon today is going to be about fellowship. Um, I was graciously asked to finish out our series, Restless Saints. And this whole series has, a, has been about how we can quiet our hearts 
And we've looked at how restless saints can quiet their heart through prayer, through the word, and through worship. And fellowship, if you don't fully know the definition, it is one of the most important things that God calls us to do in Scripture. Because true fellowship encapsulates every single thing a believer must do to have a relationship with God. It covers salvation, it covers prayer, it covers reading the word, it covers worship, and it even covers the Great Commission. And so before I, before I give you the question uh, that we're going to answer today, I'm going to go ahead and give you the main point, because that's going to lead into everything I'm going to talk about. Restless saints quiet their heart through fellowship. That's the main point. Restless saints quiet their heart through fellowship. We might think that fellowship is just, we're gathered, anybody, we're talking, that's fellowship. That is not what fellowship is. Fellowship has a huge meaning to it. It is not just a group of people gathering together. It is not just being friends with other people. And this one might come as a shock. It's stated in Scripture, it is not for non-believers. And we'll see that in 1 John. Fellowship is derived from the Greek word koinonia, and it is defined as holding something in common. So fellowship is the unity with Christ and with Christians who share in the same belief, convictions, and love for Christ. So that something that believers hold in common is Christ. <clears throat> it produces a loving cooperation for God's will to be done in the world. And it produces believers to love worship together, to pray together, and to proclaim the gospel together. And Acts 2.42 says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And so right after Jesus has ascended into heaven, Peter preaches a sermon to around 3,000 people. And most of them accept Christ, and right after this sermon, they have fellowship with each other. They gather together, and they have a time of fellowship that involves studying under the apostles. They break bread together in communion. And they pray together. Because one verse later it says that they believed together. And they had all things in common. And so when we talk about fellowship, I just want you to think unity with God. And unity with believers who are in Christ as well. And so... My main passage today is going to be 1 John 1, 1 through 4, and we're going to answer the question, how does fellowship quiet our hearts? How does fellowship quiet our hearts? And so if you have a digital Bible, um, I'll be reading out of the ESV. All of the scripture is going to be on um, the PowerPoint, but let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for allowing us to gather Thank you for the ability to come to church every single week and fellowship with you and with others. 
because you command that in your word. And I just thank you for the opportunity to get up here and just be used as a vessel. And I just pray that you speak through me and you just keep me humble and there be no evidence of pride. I just thank you for all you do. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so 1 John 1, 1 through 4 says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The word of life is Jesus. The life was manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. And so we start off the book of 1 John in a very interesting style that only two books out of Romans to Revelation start as. This is the only book from Romans to Revelation alongside Hebrews that doesn't introduce themselves by saying Paul and a slave to Christ, Paul an apostle of Christ, or Peter, or James. All of them start off by addressing who is writing it, but this one starts off from the get-go. Guns blazing, he starts off and he's talking about Jesus and the gospel. Because in this book, John is writing to believers in general. That is, that is the recipients of the book. And he's writing to them because an opposing group of people have brought forth a doctrine in the early church. And they're called the Gnostics. And there's a lot to unpack with their unbelief. But for the sake of this sermon, what you really need to know is that these Gnostics denied the incarnate Jesus. They did not believe that he came in the flesh. They believed that he was kind of an apparition. And so his humanity was here, but they also believed that his sufferings were not real. And so it is apparent that this is why John starts First John like this. I mean, look at verses 1 and 2. They're sort of an explanation and an affirmation of the pre-existence of Jesus, the divinity of Jesus, and the physical incarnation of Jesus. That which was from the beginning. And he's talking about Jesus, and this harkens back to his gospel. In John 1, he says, In the beginning was the Word. And he uses the same name for Jesus. The Word in John, the Word of Life in 1 John. Jesus was with God and is God and is there at creation. Before anything was made and before anything was spoken in creation, Jesus was there. And God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all had perfect, intimate fellowship together. Something that we won't see until the Lord takes us home. And so John explains 
that there is fellowship with God today, though. Just because we won't have perfect fellowship until we are with God, we have fellowship with God today, and that's going to be our first point. We quiet our heart through fellowship with the Lord. We quiet our heart through fellowship with the Lord. Now, hearkening back to the, the apostles, they were there in the flesh with Jesus. And so they got to experience two types of fellowship with God. They fellowshiped with God physically because the text says, and this is him proving the Gnostics wrong, this is proving the physical carnation of Jesus, we saw with our eyes, we touched with our hands, we heard from the voice of and learned from him in the flesh. They had intentional time with the Savior of this world. And they learned from him. They shared the same convictions. And they all had fellowship together. And so they also had fellowship with Jesus after he ascended into heaven. And this type of, the type of fellowship that the apostles had in the flesh is not something that we experience today because Jesus isn't here in the flesh anymore. But we can have fellowship just as deeply and intimately, because he left his spirit. In 2 Corinthians 13, 14, it says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So when we receive salvation, when we feel the Holy Spirit's pulling us toward Christ, and we accept that, he sets us apart, as holy. And then instantaneously, the disconnect that we had with God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit is rekindled, and we get fellowship with the Trinity. And these are not mutually exclusive. You can't have the Father without the Son, because no man comes to the Father except through Jesus. But also, if you have the Son, then you get the Father and the Holy Spirit. And so when I say we have fellowship with God, the implications to that mean we have access to a God who is all-powerful, who is full of grace and mercy, who gives peace beyond all understanding, and who gives mercy in abundance. And in the meantime, he builds us up in holiness as our fellowship with him grows. And even so, in John 14, 25 through 27, it says, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not, at the, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So Jesus tells the disciples, I'm leaving. I'm ascending into heaven. I'm going to be with my Father. But I'm not leaving you. I'm leaving my Spirit. And the Spirit is going to dwell with them in fellowship. And it's going to lead them, teach them, 
bring to remembrance all that the Lord has done. I think that's kind of why we say testimonies are important. They're not the most important, but supplemented with the gospel, they are very important. Or supplemented second. The gospel's first. And the same spirit who dwelled with the apostles and disciples dwell with us today. And we can have fellowship with them. So one of the things that's mentioned constantly in the New Testament is joy and peace. He says it in the, the scripture I just referenced. I leave peace with you. Peace I give to you through the spirit. And so on and so forth. There's so many passages of scripture that talk about joy and peace. And fellowship brings forth peace. At the end of verse 4 in verse John 1.4 so that our joy may be complete. That's why he's telling them fellowship with us. And when I think of when I think of fellowship with God, I really do look back to the wedding illustration. Um, but just think of these vows. Jesus says, "I choose you. I choose you to be my bride." To have and to hold from this day forward, for better or worse, for rich or poor, in sickness and in health, I choose to love and cherish you till death are we eternally together. And then we vow the same thing, but Jesus is perfect. So we say, I choose you to be my God, to have and to hold from this day forward in perfection in all your glory, I will follow you and love you until my last breath brings me home to you. And that's fellowship. This is probably the picture of marriage. In my opinion, is one of the most greatest forms of fellowship on this earth. Two believers coming together and devoting themselves to lifelong, intimate fellowship because it so closely resembles Christ and the church and all the implications that fellowship entails. A marriage needs communication. It needs sacrifice. It needs servanthood. It needs countless things that come from love that is not prideful for a marriage to flourish. And for our fellowship to flourish with God, it requires all of those things. God has already given us his all, and we too should do the same in fellowship. And the result of this is love, peace, and joy on this earth. But just look at, look at all of the things that we are given because of fellowship, because when we have fellowship with God. Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. So we got joy, peace, hope. Galatians 5, 22 through 23. This is fellowship with the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, 
goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. 1 Peter 1.8, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. And that honestly makes me really happy because there are a lot of times that I'm trying to express how I feel and I can't express it. So if you'd ask me how I'm doing, I'm just going to say I'm joyful because I can't describe it. It's inexpressible and filled with glory. And so all throughout Scripture, we see God constantly telling us, come to me, have fellowship with me, believe in me, and I will provide all that you need. I will give you peace that knows no boundary. I will give you joy that will never fade away. Yes, you will suffer Yes, you will feel the weight of this world, but I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will give you a kingdom mindset, and I will set you apart, and I will grow you in holiness. I sent my son to you so that our relationship could be rectified, and I give you my spirit so that you will not walk in this world alone. And I am anxiously waiting for the day that we can dine together and perfect fellowship. So I'll ask, does your life reflect the fellowship that God promises? Do you rely on God in every aspect of your life? Do you serve him and follow him because you know that life without him is death? Or is your life full of constant restlessness? Do you let distractions and suffering and hardships speak louder than the perfect peace and complete joy that God provides through fellowship? And so if this is you today, I encourage you to spend more time in fellowship with God because then and only then Will your heart be quieted? You will find inexpressible joy in hardships, and you will find peace in the immense and perfect presence of our Lord. So we quiet our heart through fellowship with the Lord. And I sort of unpacked this passage of 1 John 1, 4 a little differently because he states that fellowship with God first, or last, in verse 4. And so verse 4 affirms that our fellowship is with God, but verse 3 claims that our fellowship is with God and the overflow is proclamation of Jesus so that we can have fellowship with other believers. So he expresses in verses 1 and 2, We've seen Jesus, he's real, we proclaim the gospel, accept him, because we want to have fellowship with you, because our fellowship is with God. And so in this passage, it is not just combating the false doctrine of Gnosticism, 
but he's also urging those in the faith to stay in the faith. And he's also pleading with those who are not in the faith to proclaim salvation through faith, through Jesus, so that they all can have fellowship together. And so through this, we see that we have fellowship with God and we have fellowship with other believers. And that is our point too. We quiet our heart through fellowship with each other. And each other meaning other believers. First Corinthians 1.10 says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind in the same judgment. And so in the first, in the first part of 1 Corinthians, Paul is addressing the church in Corinth with a huge focus for them to be unified together. The church of Corinth was divided. They were arguing. They were discounting each other because I follow Paul, I follow Cephas, and I follow Apollos. And as I'm reading that, it's hard to not see what's happening today in churches. How often do we divide because we say, I'm a Calvinist, or I'm a Baptist, or I'm Reformed, or I'm a Methodist, well, I'm better than you all, I'm non-denominational. And Paul was respond with, is Christ divided? Christ commands us to preach the gospel of him, not bicker and divide ourselves over whether or not the worship style is fully to our preference or whether or not someone has a few rips in their jeans. Scripture says we are a unified body of believers. 1 Corinthians 12, 12, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. We are many members and one body. Our common conviction, our common sharing is God. And so no matter what we believe, if it does not conflict with key doctrine of the gospel and salvation, then we are called to fellowship together. And when true fellowship takes place, we can pray together, worship together, and debate minor topics together in love. Some of my favorite times is going out to lunch with a youth leader friend who has different beliefs than me and talking about what we believe. And then when we leave, I feel filled because I have fellowshiped with another believer and lovingly talked about what I love, and that's Christ. We've done the same thing. Yes, we have different beliefs, but I'm not going to cancel him because he believes slightly different than me. And even in James 5, 13 through 16, it says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? 
Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Fellowship with others bears tremendous weight in the faith. When one believer suffers, we suffer as well. When a person needs prayer, we pray over them. When a person is sick, we gather as a body and we pray. When a believer sins, we hold them accountable And if they repent, we rejoice together because their sins have been forgiven. And so John states that we need to be in fellowship with others in the faith. But I don't want to forget him stating that they proclaimed the gospel to everyone so that others would come to the faith and have fellowship with God in them. We don't close our walls off and say, let's fellowship together and not let anyone else come in. It is paramount that we as believers proclaim the gospel just as the apostles did so that others can receive salvation through Jesus and experience this amazing gift of fellowship with God and others. Mark 16, 15 and 16 says... And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Jesus does not tell us to proclaim the gospel lightly. It is a matter of eternal life or death. And when someone comes into the faith, we rejoice in fellowship The angels rejoice and God rejoices. And so let me ask you a question. Do you have true fellowship with other believers? Or let's just narrow it down to East River Park. Do you have true fellowship with the body of Christ inside East River Park? Or have you walled yourself off to others except for a small group of people? Would you know if someone is suffering or needs prayer, even here? Or have you neglected fellowship because someone believes differently than you? Have you neglected the call to proclaim the gospel to the world? Is there someone close to you that is not a believer that you want to have true fellowship with? And if any of these answers is yes, proclaim the gospel and we will all pray that God restores the person you have on your mind. And I'll say this, this is hard work. But Jesus is worth the work. 
Fellowship is hard work. But John tells us at the very end of this passage, so that our joy may be complete. If we neglect fellowship with God and fellowship with others, we are neglecting joy that God offers. So 2 Corinthians 13, 11 says, Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. When we have true fellowship with God, we are able to have true fellowship with other believers. And just as God restores us, comforts us, gives us peace, and loves us, he gives us the ability to restore others, comfort others, help give peace to others, and love others. And God receives all the glory for it. And our joy becomes complete. We are all in Christ because of Christ's death. We are all in Christ. And so, I'm about to conclude, but I just want to leave you with a good picture for fellowship. If you need to think of fellowship, think of this. Think of the cross. Because the cross is the foundation of where our faith begins. Jesus died on the cross for our sins, and then in three days he rose again, leaving our sins in the grave. So we look to the cross and we see Jesus isn't there because he's already done the great work. And then we look at the horizontal post of the cross. And we can see the vertical connect that we have with the Godhead. We have never-ending fellowship with Christ, and all we do is look up. And then we think of the horizontal post of the cross. And we see the infinite well of other believers who can fellowship together in one accord with Jesus. The cross has so many implications to it. We praise God for the fellowship that he offers. And so I'm going to pray, but if you have any questions, um, if you want a fellowship after church, I'll be up front. The leaders will be here somewhere. Find them, fellowship with them, fellowship with each other. Um, I know at my old church, after we sang hymns, they would always say, all right, turn around, shake hands with your neighbor. So I'm going to pray.